Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a world, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge for a fresh new start. They never will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the Good morning everyone this is Fran Lewis this is MJ Network and this is going to be totally exciting because D.P. Lyle's here with prior bad acts and before I introduce him I am totally pumped and excited on January 1st 2021 what a better way to start the new year than with your first single coming out on Spotify SoundCloud YouTube Apple iTunes and anywhere digital music is. It's called Eat Your Heart Out. It's a relationship song and it's Carly Tappan. And if you want to tag her on Instagram, it's it's Carly Tappan. And it will be so exciting if you tag her and let me know that you do. Remember, January 1st, 2021. And on January 5th, Fran's going to play the song on her radio show. So, good morning, DP. And I am so happy that you're here. Hi. Well, thanks for having me, Fran. Always fun. This is fun. Now, this book is different. You have Kane and Harper that are different than Jake and Nicole. And tell us about their background and how they differ from Jake and Nicole, because you know I love Jake and Nicole. Yeah. Well, I mean, Jake and Nicole, that whole series, the Jake Longley series, of which there's four out, and the fifth one will be out next mm-hmm. fall, Uh it's more mm-hmm. comedic, and, uh, you know, Jake's a kind of a slacker, ex-baseball player, and Nicole's his girlfriend, and they get in trouble all the time. And it's a lot of it happenstance and almost slapstick and stuff like that. Uh, Kane and Harper are different animals. Um, they're actually mm-hmm. a non-biological brothers and sisters. Brother and sister, they were uh, raised by an itinerant gypsy family who taught them everything from picking pockets to second-story work. Mm-hmm. Uh, to scams, to all this stuff, as well as putting on shows and 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 what and learning to live off the land, hunting, fishing, all uh, camping, climbing trees, all that stuff. And to make a long story short, Kane ended up using his skills learned from the family mm. when he went to the military. Who then they trained him in uh, covert operations, and he ended up basically being the tip of the spear, going into places because. He could get into and out of any place, and he was an expert with knives, so he could eliminate uh, a foreign asset, if you were, if you will, in the Middle East, and get in and out of a well-guarded home and do this and disappear into the night. Um, Harper, on the other hand, went to the Navy and, mm. and the CIA and, and ran black ops, and uh, there's a whole story about how they got separated for 15 years and came back together in Afghanistan. Mm. But... Right now, Kane and Harper are raised by gypsies, trained by the military, are basically fixers. And they fix things that are difficult to fix by whatever means are necessary. I would love them to fix something for me. Seriously. <laughs> me too. <laughs> they probably could fix this and make me feel so much better. 
So the back of the cover says, Fia grips an isolated mountain town after drug dealer Dalton Southwell kills a rogue dealer and his entire family. He's a horrible person. Oh, yeah. And his brother takes a bullet, and I really didn't feel sorry for the bullet, the guy, because he deserved it for what he did. So right. then they decide to kidnap the ER doctor. That's where we start. So why did Kane seem stir-crazy? He's, I, I get that, too. And how come they took this case when they asked? Well, they sort uh, of like, yeah, i gotta got to do something. Yeah, well, yeah, Kane gets uh, stir-crazy easy. He, he needs to be doing things. He's... Uh, He's an active person, uh, whereas Harper's more introspective and smart and all that. Bobby mm-hmm. needs to be doing stuff. Bobby Kane needs to be doing stuff. So they had had like a month of downtime, and they get a call, uh, you know, like at 2 in the morning from their, their the attorney that handles all their business and says, I got a problem mm-hmm. over in central Tennessee, a small mountain town, and the the father is a doctor in North Carolina, and he's hired to find his son who apparently was kidnapped. Well, the story, about the first dozen chapters actually goes back and forth in time. Mm-hmm. And by about a dozen chapters, the two storylines end up merging together in, in, in present day and present time. Um, but basically, these bad guys come over from Memphis into this little uh, mountain town uh, close to Knoxville, which is a, well, puts it most of the way across the state of Tennessee, if not all the way. And uh, because they got a, a dealer over there who's trying to go mm. rogue, and they don't allow that. So they come in and they basically kill the whole family to deliver a message. But the bad guy, Dalton Southwell, his brother Denny, takes a bullet. So here they are, hundreds of miles from where they would have help in Memphis. You know, they got a quack that can take care of these things. Um what are they going to do? They can't make it to Memphis and Denny live, so they can't go to the emergency room because they might as well go to jail. Yeah. And so they just bring the hospital to Denny by kidnapping the doctor. And that's what brings the stories together. So I start with Kane and Harper, and then I go back in time to this because I just didn't want them to show up and then start looking for these guys. We didn't know who these guys were. We didn't know what happened before. And I wanted all that rendered in real time. So I went back and forth in time until the two mm. storylines emerged uh, emerged together. And uh, so that's kind of the basic premise of the story. What happens after that, you know, is, you know, Kane and Harper trying to settle a score and, and re- save the doctor and resolve this whole deal. And needless to say, yeah. things are difficult. Well, that's what I've been doing. I'm doing one other one on December 8th with Lee Matthew Goldberg, John Lynn, Derek McGavin, and John DeSimo. We're going to talk about that. Flashbacks, timelines, and how you create that. Right, right. This should be interesting. Yeah, yeah it, I mean, it's, it's not a new technique. I mean, I've, I've obviously seen it before, yeah. but that's what we writers do. We learn from other writers. Um, so uh, that back and forth in time is, was the best way to tell it's this hard. story. It depends on how you do it, basically. I mean, when oh, you yeah. do it, I understand it. And when Lee Matthew Goldberg did it in The Ancestors, he just went from November, to, uh, from April to November straight through. And I thought, this is so much easier. I don't have to turn the pages back and forth. And yet right. I've read some, when I've, some people st- decide to go back in time in the middle of a paragraph or this first sentence of the second paragraph, and I go like, what are you doing? And why are you doing this to me? It's like not right. 
I, well, I lose it, my it, mind completely. Yeah. yeah, it's hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, these techniques either work or they don't work in uh, any particular work. So you got to, uh, you know, sometimes you get lucky. <laughs> and it does work. And I think this one did work. I think, uh, I it think did the way work it went back and forth in time, it. it created the tension that I wanted yeah. to create. So Dalton and his brother, Jesse, take out the Finley Holt family. Why? And they didn't want to take out just Tommy. They want to send a message. Right. So Buck is kidnapped, but they don't see Maria So with Marla. So why don't they take her? Why would they take her account of what happened? I don't like her. Oh, Marla? Yeah, Marla. Uh, yeah, Mar- oh, Marla. Marla's, Marla's one of my favorite characters. Marla is... Okay. Um, Marla is actually one of these girls that was very popular in high school, very pretty, yeah. beauty contest, very smart, very athletic. In other words, she had everything going for her. And then drugs came into the picture, and she fell off the wagon mm-hmm. and ended up basically yeah. roaming the streets and panhandling and using drugs and whatever she could do. So obviously she's involved in this drug world. Well, she and a heroine, Hayes, actually witnesses, unbeknownst to her at first, the kidnapping of the doctor. And so she's Mm -hmm. the one that begins the ball rolling as to what actually happened here and why no one can find Buck and and why a pharmacy was robbed and all this stuff. So she's the glue. And I just liked her. I, I, she's obviously a sad sack character in many ways. Yeah. But uh, but I, I like Marla. Marla's Marla's a good kid. Just went down the wrong path. And then they killed the pharmacist. That was so rude. Well. I mean. They needed I mean, I supplies. Felt so bad. I know. <laughs> they needed a. I know. The poor guy didn't need. I know. But you can just say, you know, give me the supplies and don't kill the poor man. The people need them. Yeah, well, they don't want witnesses, and Dalton's already proved that he will kill whoever gets in the way. I know. And uh, so there you go. Um, uh, the doc- uh, Dr. Buck couldn't really do much without supplies. Uh, you know, know, you can't take a bullet out of somebody with a butter knife, so uh, they had to do what they had to do. That's so sad. <laughs> so your characterization of Jason, Ebbs, and Dalton and the other dealers depicts are they really, this is a fact, are they really heartless and cold and they don't care about anything except what they want to get done and who they have to kill? They don't care. Well, I, I think in their interactions as it goes yeah. along, I mean, you find that, mm-hmm. you know, Dalton and Dalton and Denny are brothers, and so there's that relationship and that love for each other, and that's what makes Dalton do crazy things. And Jesse is just part of their crew. But you can tell that there's a close, they're a close-knit group, uh, that they this is not their first rodeo. They've done this stuff before. They've uh, they've done bad, bad, bad things for many, many years, and have been protected by uh, the, the, their handler, if you will, in Memphis. Mm-hmm. But now, besides Kane and Harper being strangers in strange lands, of which they are used to being, these guys are now strangers in strange lands because they're hundreds of miles from their familiar territory. Mm-hmm. And something that should have been easy, in and out, pop, pop, done, gone, didn't work out that way. And now they're panicking. So I think you can, you know, remember, every, the antagonist mm-hmm. is the hero of their own story. So they think that what they're doing is the right thing to do, even though it's wrong. It's, it's you know, murderous. A lot of but people that, I know, the, a lot of people that do the wrong thing actually justify it in their own mind. 
Like, I, I, this is what I'm going to do, and if you don't like it, I think I'm right. They don't even want to hear the other side of the story. That's just right. scarier. <laughs> I'm getting good at this. Now, Buck is one of my favorite characters. Yeah. I really like this guy. you got to bring him back again. And he has to operate on Denny, but he has yep. no choice. And if he fails in the end, he's going to be killed. So yep. how did you create a doctor? There are no doctors like this in the world, people. We really need this guy with such courage that said, I'm not going to take this crap. You need me. I don't need you. Well, I mean, he, yeah, he did he's at good. first, you know, obviously he's confused, disoriented, yeah. doesn't know what's yeah. going on, what the heck is all this about. And then when he finally figures it out, what, what they need him for, now it becomes yeah. the dilemma that, you know, he doesn't know what happened. He doesn't know that a family of four was killed and that a pharmacy was raided and the owner was killed. He doesn't know any of that. All he knows is that this guy didn't get shot by accident and that whatever happened was something bad. And now he was in the hands of these three guys who had guns, who weren't stupid, uh, who were ruthless, and he knew that. And at first he just towed the line. Okay, I'll do, I, you know, I need to do this, I'll do this. But as he started looking at the situation he thought mm. you know they're really in my domain now you know they're not out on the street they're not thugs they're basically in this little hospital if you will where they went underground and then hit out uh, while he repaired denny and let him recover enough to travel to memphis and he drugged that out and he used the fact that he was in charge that Denny's life was in his hands, and therefore he could manipulate mm. Dalton. And that's what makes Buck such a great character is that uh, grace under pressure, you know, that's poise. He had the poise to realize, mm. boy, this is going to be treacherous, and if this guy dies, they're going to kill me. There is no doubt about it. So he's got to do good medical work, but at the same time, he's got to manipulate Dalton in the hopes that an opportunity will arise for him to get away even though he has no idea really where he is because he had just moved to town. You know? Yeah, I know. That's even scarier. And his father wasn't happy about it either, I'm sure. Oh, no. <laughs> he so was training to about... be a surgeon to join the family clinic, yeah, no. but he decided, no, I want to do ER work, and, and much to the father's uh, chagrin. But uh, I know. He didn't want him to go into surgical practice. and um... yeah, He wanted to come back and join the group, but he, he did not want him to go into the emergency room medicine and then do what we call locum tenens, which is where you move around and fill in for people who are out for whatever reason. Well, these, these, surgical, these ER doctors don't get enough credit. To be honest, oh no, it, it's they a don't. Tough job. I've heard, I've heard regular doctors uh, say, "Oh, he's just an ER doctor, so so what?" I go, "But if he wasn't there, how many people wouldn't be here?" Seriously. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to have a handful of skills, and you have to be able to do them on your yeah. feet instantaneously. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. That's why they don't give them enough credit. And I've spent enough time sometimes when I had to get something done. I actually called the ER and said, this is the pain in the butt. I'm coming. Um, <laughs> yeah. Usually, yeah, there's one particular ER. I haven't, thank God I haven't been there in a long time. And I'll go, like, this is Fran. They go, just come. Don't worry about it. We got you covered. It could be as busy as anything, and they know the pain in the neck is come because I bring my books for them. And I bring reading material, so I get in. But totally yeah. that. So tell us about Chief Crow Hack and her team, and how does she react to Kane and Harper's presence? They're not happy about that, are they? 
Uh, well, uh, Cassandra Cassie Crow is the chief of police like there. And, yeah, she yeah. and she actually, you know, went to high school with Marla, so they have that yeah. past relationship. But uh, yeah, she's uh, her father had been uh, chief of police, and he got killed in the line of duty. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole backstory there. But uh, Cassie's mm-hmm. in charge, and she took over for Hack. Hack Hackford, who had become police chief, but he was getting older, and he said, no, you need to do this. So she's the chief of police, and she's tough, no nonsense, uh, good character. Uh, uh, I, li- I liked her. She, um, remember, this is a tiny little town. Her force yeah. is very small, and here these pros have entered her world and created havoc mm-hmm. like that town has never seen. And that's why I like to set stories in small towns because these types of things, if they happen, you know, in New York City, yeah, okay, fine, that makes page 12. But uh, if this happens in a small town, this is catastrophic, and people will talk about it for decades to come. Um, so she, in on, in many respects, welcomes Kane and Harper being there once she figures out who they are, what their agenda is, and what their skills are that, oh, absolutely, we need help. Still, it's her department, so there's that little friction that, uh, you know, I'm still in charge here. This is this is my shop. But they seem to work well together. <laughs> well, tell us, tell us about Dalton and how he feels about having um, Buck around. How do they get along? How does Buck get around getting things done with him? Because I don't like Dalton. He's scary. He's really <laughs> dangerous and really scary. I'm going like, oh, my God. I, 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 you know, you have to admire Buck and the fact that he didn't want to punch him in the head. He probably wanted to, and he's not a weakling. He's not a. So how did he deal with him and the other and the other thugs, without you know, trying to kill the brother? He could have killed the brother in five seconds. Oh he yeah, could have I mean, said, he could have let the brother take some die, blood from then, you. He could have killed both of them. He just injected them with something pretty good, not bad. Well, most people don't let you inject them. Uh, but I know. Uh, yeah, no, he. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He could have let the brother die at, at uh, lots of times in there, but that number yeah. one, that's not who he is. You know, as physicians, you treat everybody, and even though he's out there kidnapped in the middle of nowhere, doesn't know where he is, working with few tools, no equipment, no help, uh, so he's way out, way out on the tether. But still, his his duty. To make sure Denny lives. Not only does it, does the medical side and the doctor side of it play in, but oh yeah, if Denny dies, he'll be a dead man, and he knows that. So he's got these these two Damocles swords, if you will, hanging over his head. Uh, one, he's got to be a good doc under terrible circumstances. Number two, he better be a good doc, or they're going to kill him. But he knows that Dalton makes the decisions. But he also mm-hmm. knows that that Jesse may be the weak link here. Yeah. That Jesse may be the one that he can manipulate because Dalton's difficult. He actually ends up trying to manipulate both of them to his advantage, again, buying time until an opportunity might arise that he could escape. Again, even though he doesn't know where he is, but anywhere. I think at one point he says he didn't even know which direction to go. But the only thing he knew is if he got away, it would be downhill. <laughs> you know, go downhill. Always go downhill. <laughs> you know? 
You're more well, likely I, to find I, civilization downhill than you are uphill in most places. <laughs> he's he's a brave child. So, how aloof about their relationships are they and their past? All these characters, they they don't want people to really know about them. Even Cain um, and Harper, they don't really want people to know too much about them either. So no, they they, they that's from people not knowing too much. Well, they kind of paint their history in uh, in 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 very broad strokes. You know, they they they. Cassie and Hack do learn that they were raised by an itinerant gypsy family, which they thought was fascinating. Of course, they didn't realize what all the family had taught them, you know, from scams and pickpocketing and second-story work and living off the land and understanding how to roam around in the woods and use weapons and all that stuff. And that was just part of upbringing. You know, that's what they had to mm-hmm. do as kids with a group to survive. And then they knew they were in the military, but I'm not sure that they really understood the what Bobby Kane was capable of doing and what he had done many times for the government and that mm-hmm. Harper was smarter than the average bear. And, and so they got a hint of that, but they didn't really know the details of who these two really were. Um, and, you know, you don't advertise the fact that, you know, you've killed a couple of dozen people for the, for the military. That's okay. That's so sad. <laughs> they all needed killing. That must be hard that. though. I asked that of somebody. I'm going to do a show on uh, in February 10th with law enforcement officers, two detectives, oh, yeah. a state trooper, FBI, and a CIA in the form of FBI profiler. I'm a oh, cool. Girl. Yeah, David Putnam and um, Alan oh, yeah. Jacobson and a whole bunch. And yeah, a new, I a know new both author, of them well. Uh, <laughs> Um, Ella Russo and a whole bunch, a, a whole bunch of Brian uh, Coffin, Bruce Coffin, and yeah. it's 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 going to be exciting because we're going to talk about Men in Blue. We're going to talk about how they handle certain cases. But my sure. question to them is going to be, what happens when it goes wrong? What oh, happens yeah. when they criticize you? What happens when they go against the police? What happens when somebody when you actually have to take a shot and somebody dies? These are the things that people don't understand. No. Sometimes it's not the police. Well, I can't stand when they, you know, have these programs where the news go against the police. I have a fit. So. Yeah, and and I feel the same way. And in my writing, I may yeah. have yeah. corrupt police officers. Yeah, you do. But, but I but I won't have a corrupt police department. I mean, I, I refuse yeah. to do that because I think ninety nine percent of mm. cops are putting their life on the line. They're doing a, yeah. an un, a thankless, almost untenable job for low pay, yep. low respect, all that. And remember, I mean, so you're a cop on a thing, and you get called, and you go to this place, and it's nighttime, right. and you're going into an alley or an apartment complex or a hotel or, or, mm-hmm. or just out in the open. You're going somewhere. You don't know who, what, when, where, how. You're walking in there, and you've got to be, first of all, uh, a warrior you've got mm-hmm. to be you've got to protect yourself and your and, and your fellow officers you've got to be fair you've got to try to sort out the bad guy and take the bad guy down before he harms someone in the public you've got to be a counselor you've got to be a psychiatrist and now mm-hmm. you've got to be a lawyer too to decide what you can do and how you can do it um, and you have to make all these decisions in the dark by yourself often in split seconds, where every tick That's of the right. clock matters, and so do you make mistakes? Sure, you do. Everybody does. 
but most of the time they get it right. And uh, you know, so I just I'm 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 very pro cop, not anti cop, because I think without oh, good. Them, you got nothing. I, I, <laughs> without I, law and I, order, I you to... don't have much. I, I know, and I, I just, you know, I'm careful what I say, but to be very honest, when my mom was very sick and she need, I needed to call 911, like, every week practically, unfortunately, when she was at the end of Alzheimer's, I mean, you know what that is, um, I, I, the police came before the fire department. They actually knew me by name. I mean, I, I called them here, here again, whatever. Uh, the fire department was, <laughs> I, I have I, I have such great respect for them, the fact that they, like, she's crazy, whatever. <laughs> So, now we've got Marla. You created Marla. Who is Reverend John, and why was he so concerned about her? And I felt like at least he had somebody on her side. Yeah, R- Reverend John is is a great character. He's an old guy like with him. the scraggly beard and all that. But he actually had been a reverend. But John had his mm-hmm. own problems with alcohol mm-hmm. and drugs and fell off yeah. the wagon and already got in trouble and lost his parish, as it were. And uh, but yet, John's a tough guy. He you, he's ex, he was in the military younger in his life too, so he has that discipline. But mainly, he wants to help other people get off the street. So he has this house, mm-hmm. and he lets uh, these street people come and go and stay there when they can. You know, it's kind of first come first serve. So mm-hmm. he's got you know several beds in the house and whoever gets there first can use them and whoever doesn't sleeps on the street. But John helps people. He feeds them, he shelters them, he does what he can to help get people off the street. He tries to get, you know, like Marla into counseling and he really mm-hmm. likes Marla because he sees so much past and so mm-hmm. much future in her, but where she is right now, mm-hmm. the past doesn't matter and the future will never happen. And so Reverend John is really a pivotal character in this story, and I really enjoyed creating him. He, he's a good guy, in other words, with a, with, a, with a past, you know. He made all his mistakes, and he tries to keep other people from falling down that path. And he pulled himself up, and he shows people, hey, you can too. Well, the good part is that he actually, he actually cares in the fact that she, um, she has to see it for herself, though. Marla has to yeah. see it oh, for yeah. herself. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Though. Yeah. She has to see. It. Sometimes you just blind to your own self until somebody shows it to you. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I, I, I had students like that, and I said to them, look in the mirror and look at your face and realize that you are somebody, and you're going to be even more than somebody when I get done with you. You're going to be fine. And they looked at me and they go, yeah, you're right. I will, don't argue with her. She's right. Seriously. <laughs> so when Marla tells them about Jason, and he's yeah. questioned by Cassie, he actually thinks he's going to get away with this. Right. So how did you, then Harper and Kane take over, and he's not so, he's a little timid. How come he got scared? Good for him. Well, because they can put the fear of God in people when they want to. I like uh, Jason, Jason is the local drug dealer. Uh, yeah. he worked with the guy that Dalton came over and killed. Okay. Um, and so now the the drug dealing, if you will, in that area in Dalton's world will fall to Jesse. I mean, child of Jason. And so Jason then, Cassie, of course, the chief of police, calls him in because, you know, Marla said, well, this is, this was, he worked with 
you know, the guy that got, got killed, Tommy Finley. He worked with Tommy. He was his, if, if anything happens, it's going to fall to him, da-da-da-da-da. So she brings him in, and he kind of spins the story. I don't know what you're talking about, da-da-da-da-da, but she doesn't buy it. But he does think, well, you know, what are they going to do about me? You know, I haven't done anything. They don't have anything on me. Well, then Kane and Harper have a little talk with him, and they say, you know, you don't need to be afraid of us. You need to be afraid of Dalton because he may just decide to clean house. He may just decide to shut this operation mm-hmm. down or get rid of everybody who knows anybody involved in this and disappear and come back and set up again later if they want to. And so you better, you know, we're, the, we're your salvation. We're not your enemy. And so that dynamic has to play out. Of course, he doesn't know you're not. Yeah, 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 right, whatever. Uh, but he finally comes around to that kind of thinking, but not completely. Because he still likes the money, he still likes working in the drug business, if you will. So uh, uh, he doesn't become all the way to a good guy, as it were. <laughs> he kind of leans in that direction a little bit, but at the mm. end, no. At the end, no. Yeah. The money, the money's too Who, good. Who's the attorney that works with Dalton? That's Navarro. Tell us about him. You have uh, to, you've got to get a sleazeball to work with you like this. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Well, um, the 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 attorney there locally, the attorney there locally is mm-hmm. uh, Simon Green, and yeah. uh, we don't know who he is for a long time, but I mean, we kind of yeah. know his relationship with with Cassie and Marla and all that from back in the day, and he's the best attorney in town, and et cetera. But we don't mm-hmm. know if he has a relationship with Dalton or not. We figure all this out, but of course things mm. don't things don't always run smoothly when when those relationships are tested. So um, um, I won't go into detail there. No. <laughs> yeah. Who else works with with Dalton and Denny? Who is it? Well, There's another guy there, Harris. Well, uh, yeah, they send over some other guys to help out because yeah. obviously this thing has now gone sideways. A lot of other people are there. They need to track down Marla and Jason, and they and, and, yeah. and they need to they need to clean house, and and also get get Denny out of there and back to Memphis as soon as he can travel, and so they need to they need to clean house and, and shut and shut down anybody who knows anything, which includes killing Buck, anybody who knows yeah. anything about them and who they are and what what they do and that they even exist, and so they want to clear the ledger so other people come over. But they all work. They all work for a guy called Frank, Frankie the Finger Campanella, which is like a yeah. Memphis mob boss. And they call him Frankie the Finger because if he fingers you, you end up dead. And so That's Frank cool. Campanella is their is their godfather, if you will. And he runs lots of things in Memphis, not just drugs, but he does oversee the drug business. Um and so ultimately, Dalton and his crew are a crew of Franks, of Frankie the Fingers. And so if Frankie says, we're going to clean house, we're going to empty out that little town, get rid of all the people who even know anything about this or have ever heard our names and disappear, then that's what's going to happen. And Dalton is a good soldier. He's going to do that He's, without batting an eye. I mean, he killed a whole family, for Christ's sakes, basically in the opening scene. Why does somebody do that though? Just because they don't want any witnesses? 
Oh, absolutely. And they're afraid they'll be found out? Yeah. Yeah. What would have happened if somebody actually pretended to be dead? Well, that happens. People people do that. They they try to they try to yeah. act like they're dead. <laughs> um but it doesn't but it doesn't always pan out. Uh but yeah, I mean, wouldn't you? You know, if yeah. you don't have if you don't have any, there's three guys with guns there and you get shot, aren't you're probably not going to scream and yell and try to crawl away. You're probably going to lay there and say, "Please, mm-hmm. please, please let them go away. Let them go away because you can't fight them." You know, there's too many, and they're too armed and all of that. You can't run because now you're injured. So play dead. Sure. I think that's a, that's a pretty good strategy, actually. doesn't always as work. Long as, but <laughs> As long as nobody realizes you're not dead. Exactly. Now, this this got me because Denny is not stupid, but he's – Dalton is not stupid. He's just miserable. So when he says that he wants Denny ready to travel and Buck wants him – why doesn't why don't why doesn't he want to listen? Because he doesn't care except him. Well, no, uh, Dalton wants to get out of get out of town as quickly as possible. Yeah. Before anything, because things have already gone sideways, and he wants to get out of town as quickly as possible. And complications keep arising and arising. Well, Buck keeps telling him if you if you try to leave now, uh, Denny won't make it to Memphis. He'll the bleeding will start back up again. He, He's just a day after surgery. He, I'm sorry, you can't do mm-hmm. that. Truth is, is that Buck did a pretty good job, and then he could have traveled in the back of an SUV. Yeah, probably. I got that, yeah. But he, but see, Dalton doesn't know that because he, this isn't his domain. He has no medical training whatsoever, so this isn't his domain. So this is where Buck kind of takes the power away from him, saying, "You're now on on my court." You're in you're in my neighborhood now. I I control this situation now, not you. And so um, that's that's one of the ways he uses to manipulate. And um, I like that. I like the fact that he does that. <laughs> I like the fact that he's he's not afraid and that he knows how to get get the point across, and he doesn't let them intimidate him. Because well, most people would like yeah. say, okay, whatever you think. So there's one other character. I have the book in front of me. It's, the book is talking to me. What can I say? Yeah. Um, who is Liz? And she works for Cass with Cassie. Who is who? Liz. Liz. Yeah, Liz, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Liz. Liz Evans is one of the cops, along with J.T. Doyle. Uh, yeah. Uh, and Scotty Duckworth and Rick Fowler. Those are the cops in Cassie's domain yeah. uh, in her department who play into this story because there's a lot of moving parts that are going on. Yeah. Once Kane and Harper arrive and once they have kidnapped the doc and disappeared, well, there's a lot of moving parts. How do you find these people? Which direction did they go? Did they did they leave town? Are they Did they hunker down close by? Mm-hmm. How, how do we locate them? And Okay, so when we locate them, what are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? they got a wounded yeah. guy. They've got a kidnapped uh, uh, subject. I mean, what, what are we going to do about it? And so all these moving parts require a lot of investigation and so there's several other cops that enter the picture. I like Duckworth though. He's my favorite. Yeah, yeah, Scotty Duckworth is a good character. <laughs> okay, now before I forget I don't want to forget. Monday, John Land. Murder in uh. season. And I'm really upset because this book was so far superior to anything. He wrote five of them. 
and then they took it and gave it to somebody else. I won't say anything about the other author, but these were so far superior to anything anybody's ever written with Jessica Fletcher, and he took her to a new height. So this is really good. On the 30th, Dennis Palumbo and I are doing something that I asked him personally to do, fear and isolation due to this pandemic. A lot of people fear that way, too. You feel like you're closed in and confined. On the second, the author of Venturi Effect. On the eighth, I've got a wild panel show. On the 14th, Tim O'Mara, The Hook. And on the 16th, we have, I don't know how I do this, five authors. Should be interesting for a panel show. On the 21st, I am I, I'm so honored, Jeffrey Deaver, Alan Jacobson, Heather Graham, and John Lesquart. Nothing good happens after midnight, and your story is in there too. That's so great. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And it's a great and collection. Last, story. last week, I was really I couldn't believe this. Uh, Clive Gusler unfortunately died February 24th this year, and Boyd Morrison is going to come on talk about the Maroda and talk about how he created the book with Clive. So cool. that is December, people. Never mind. Wow, you're going to be busy. <laughs> I, I am. My show is booked until the end of February, and then I have some openings. If anybody's coming out with something in March or April, you better tell me now. I can't believe how popular I am. And on <laughs> January 5th, on my panel show, we're going to talk about whatever comes to mind, publishing anything, whatever comes to mind to these four people. I probably won't have to say very much of anything. But at the end of the show, I am going to play Eat Your Heart Out by Carly Megan. I am going to play my niece's video, because I promised I would, because I can do what I want. <laughs> So you have people that are like Marla that are on drugs, and you wonder sometimes, well, they want to escape life. They don't know how to deal with it. So how can someone like Marla turn their life around? And why do these people use drugs to escape life when they only make it worse? Cause sometimes well, yeah, you're I mean, doing something you don't want to do. Sure. that's. Uh, I remember back in the day during the cocaine, cocaine mm-hmm. cartel days, you know, yeah. uh, when cocaine was so big, you know, it's uh, – it, it's like it 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 gave, gave you the high, gave people the buzz. They fell for that. But guess what? The more you use it, the less effective it is. The less the high is, and the more you become dependent on it, and the more negative side effects you get from it. But people get caught in that spiral. It happens all the time. Um, you know, life <laughs> life is tough. Yeah. You know, things go wrong, and people get angry and depressed and. And all sideways yeah. about stuff, and, and and they're looking for a band-aid. They're looking for a way out. So that's why people yeah. turn to alcohol and drugs. And it, often it, it's internal pain. And so uh, you know, Marla had hers in this in this story. Yeah. She had her issues, uh, and and she turned down that road rather than another road like Cassie did. You know, Cassie went the right way. She went into police work like her father, but maybe she had better parents. I don't know. Uh, but Marla went down another path. And, you know, this is an old story. This is not new. This has been around it's for sad. millennia. Yeah. I know. I, I go for coffee, black coffee. That's my thing. <laughs> I take, but it actually is bad for you, but it calms me down. They said it's good for your heart and your mental state, and everybody says I'm smart because I drink seven cups of coffee a day. It's very bad for for stomach for IBS, but what the heck? We you can't have everything, right? So <laughs> Exactly. And coffee's probably so, not as bad as we once thought it was, but you know, know, too much is too much still. But 
I know. At 1 o'clock in the morning when I get up, whatever, I, I just have to have my coffee. Thank God for Javalia and the K-pop. Yeah. <laughs> so in both of the series, this is really interesting. How do you create the unexpected that we don't expect in both of the series? And how do Harper and Kane decide on what cases to take? Because they don't just take everything. Well, uh, you know, uh, and, and obviously in, 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 I'm working on the third in that series now. The, yeah, oh, good. It's just kind of, you know, they, this case comes in their lap. It, you know, it, it goes back to mm-hmm. Marlowe and all that. Somebody comes mm-hmm. in, knocks on the door, comes to the office and says, you know, I want you to find my wife or I want you to find this money or I want you to do this. I want you, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what private investigators, whether they're true PIs or not, actually do. Um, somebody asks for help, and so they respond. Now, obviously, Kane and Harper get paid like most PIs do, but they they come to help. So they they get involved in in unusual situations because if it was usual the local police or anybody else could take mm-hmm. care of it but they get involved in things that are a little Nobody outside yeah as far as you know surprises and stuff like that was well, a surprise yeah. to me too because i don't <laughs> outline you know i just start writing you know i have a few uh-huh. scenes in mind and i just start writing and then the story goes where the story goes now you know obviously i'm still the driver of the car but, you know, you see different road signs and different off-roads along any path. And, you know, sometimes you take one of those roads, sometimes you don't. Uh, and how do you do that? I don't know. It, it's kind of intuitive. If this feels right, then it probably is right. If it feels awkward and clunky, you're probably, you know, turned on the wrong road. You want to get back on a better one. And so, you know, you do all that. I think storytelling is storytelling. And if you can tell a story, you can write a story. It takes some work. It takes a lot of work. But so what? What else am I going to do? <laughs> well, the truth of the matter is you do it very well, and some do, other authors do. And I read one book yesterday, I won't say the name of it, that um, I have to post for a, a blog tour. And I, the person said to me, you know, did you read this? And I said, uh-huh. And they said, you're not saying anything. I go, uh-huh, you got that. Um, I've read some unusual books in my time, and this was really so over-the-top strange that I had to get creative when I wrote the review. So I'm not doing an interview with the person, which is a good yeah. thing. Um, yeah. I've, I've never read anything quite like this, and I've read other things by this person. I go, like, oh, my God, you've got to be kidding me. And then they sent me another one, and I'm going, why me? It's not bad. It's a murder mystery, but the the main character, there's no way that that could happen, that this person could solve a murder over the police. That's all I'll say. So, the, yeah, the I mean, final, you know, it, yeah, different people can, I, can write to different degrees. You know, like James Lee yeah. Burke and Elmore Leonard, I think, are fantastic. Nobody yeah. does it better. But But there's that, and then there's also personal taste and, you know, the mood you're yeah. in when you sit down and start writing, start reading it and all that stuff. And uh, we writers just hope that Whatever we write strikes a chord, and everybody says, "Yeah, cool, I like this." Uh, you know, we but you don't know. You don't know till you turn it loose. Do you know it's funny because I could post a review at twelve oh one, and twelve oh one in ten seconds, there are twenty people that read it on my just reviews, and I go yeah, like, good. "Why are you reading my work? Why are you telling me that?" No. <laughs> because um, they want to know what you think. Yeah. <laughs> they they do know, and and then they buy the book. Yeah, absolutely. Which is really good for everybody. So 
The final scenes are violent, yet lives are in jeopardy. Marla makes a bad choice. And yeah. what happens when Buck needs to think fast? I mean, Marla, really, does she ever, you know, realize I'm a good person, I'm smart, I could do more than just give up on myself? Uh, who are you, are you talking about, Buck or Marla? Marla. Marla, yeah. Marla, remember, Marla is a drug addict at heart. Yeah. You know, that, that's a different animal. Uh, you're you're psychologically and actually physically addicted. So she is has that personality, or she wouldn't have gotten there in the first place. And I think early in the book, you know, you talk about Reverend Johnson. You know, I've sent her to rehab twice, and none of them stuck. None of them stuck. You know, she's still she she keeps falling off the wagon and returning to drugs. Well, she makes a stupid decision toward the end. Uh, it yeah. almost you know does her in, et cetera, et cetera. But it's all because, at heart, she is a drug addict, and drug addicts often return to that world. Mm-hmm. It's a hard world to get out of, apparently, and uh, you know that's why the recidivism rate is so high uh, for both mm-hmm. alcohol and and various drugs, because whatever caused it in the first place probably hasn't really gone away. You know, you, you have to develop skills to deal with it. You have to to understand it, to try to avoid it. But but the real cause, the driving force behind how you got there in the first place probably hasn't changed that much. So yeah, if you can't yeah. deal with it and figure out a way around it, you're destined to fall back into the same trap. Marla's no different. Well, but she I do sort like of justifies it. Yeah, I, I like her, but I don't like that she does that. That's so bad for you. <laughs> I mean... I taught in a school for a very long time, and I could tell when a parent came in that was on something. You could oh, see yeah. the eyes, you could see the glassy, but and it was scary. I mean, I wasn't afraid of anybody. I'm a little person, and these are huge people, and I would go like, <laughs> next time, don't come in like that. And they would come in <laughs> yeah. angry or whatever, and I would look at them and they go, do you want to speak to me or do you want the door? Because I won't tolerate it, and they didn't. Yeah. I had a lot, got a lot of respect. I mean, I had some you know wild situations, but... You know, you learn to deal with it. So, sure. where do you see where do you see Marla in the future? Now, you're going to bring her back because I like her. We'll, we'll have I, you to know, bring I her back. I don't know because this was an isolated case yeah. in a small town that's really outside yeah. of uh, Kane and Harper's domain. It's hundreds of miles from Nashville where they live. Um, mm. But I do like Marla, and and I, what I think is in the end is that Marla's going to probably do okay. But you know, we don't know. We have hope. But we don't know what is her future at the end of the story. Uh, but yeah, probably she, she won't reappear. But you never know. You never know. What, what about Reverend John? Because he's a good guy. Yeah, he's there a good guy. There are a lot guy. of homeless people out there. You know, when I went to the Thriller Fest last year, um, I went to the Thriller Fest last year, and I yeah. uh, saw, I saw not last year, the year before, because this year they didn't have one. Right, uh, there right. were homeless people outside the outside the hotel. Yeah. And on the side, and that was really scary, and upsetting. And you know they were sleeping on a cardboard box, and they didn't look very poorly nourished or anything. And it bothered me. And I'm saying like this is a major hotel, and nobody thought to to tell them to you know to either move or whatever. And then last week I went to my diner that I go on on the morning. On Saturday morning, I don't eat in restaurants, but they have tables outside because they think I'm wonderful. And at 7 o'clock in the morning, nobody's there. I felt so bad. There was a man sleeping on the floor. And somebody yeah. actually came and moved him and said, come here, I'll give you a dollar to go inside and get coffee. 
Why do people do resort to that? That's so sad. Well, they many of them have no choice. And again, drugs and alcohol. I know. You know, That's once so you uh, once you snort up all of your your earnings, you know, and all your savings, what are you left with? You probably at that point in time probably alienated family and friends. You've probably yeah. stolen from them. I mean, who knows? You know, there's a million stories. And so every person who ends up on the street, uh, some mm-hmm. of it's of their own doing, some of it's circumstance. Uh, but people do what people have to do. You know, if you have to eat out of a garbage can and sleep in an alley, yeah. then that's what you do. Um, it's actually resourceful. <laughs> well, I mean, what's the alternative? Go jump off a bridge? Well, that happens too, unfortunately. Um People survive by whatever means they can survive by. I, I think one of the saddest things I'll never forget, I was teaching just a few years, and this girl was on first grade, and I was on sixth grade, and she came around to say goodbye to everybody, and the next thing we knew, she jumped off a building. I don't know, yeah. because she was depressed from P, you know, PMS or whatever. I, and I was like, oh, my God, you had so much to offer. And she was a good teacher. It's, yeah. These are the things that you that you wonder about. You won't you forget. So, Kane and Harper, um, where do you see them next? Well, they're they're starting another adventure. <laughs> oh, and, good. Uh, it's already underway, and it's a little small town down in uh, uh, southwestern Tennessee. And they uh, uh, a um, the, the the inciting incident for this story is that a professor there. Uh, late 30s, good guy, is out for a run and gets and gets shot dead. But it turns out he's the son of uh, of this of this lady who is the U.S. ambassador to NATO, and oh, she nice. happens to be in Brussels at the time when her son gets shot and killed. And through her connections through the military and the secret world, gets Kane and Harper involved to come down and try to figure out what the hell happened because she can fly there for a couple of days, but then she's got so much on her plate being ambassador to NATO. She's got important meetings stacked up. She's got to get back to Europe. So she has them come in, you know, find out what's going on, make this problem right. So it's that kind of situation. She asks for help, and they agree. That that is that is amazing. Cause I like them. I told you I'd love to meet them in person. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. You now, just don't want to be on their bad next? side. No. You see, I could see Nicole and Jake working together with them. That might be uh, interesting on a case. Uh, yeah, maybe, but they're, they're two entirely different different stories. That's why. I mean, one's yeah. comedic and the other's down and dirty and dark and more traditional thrillers. So, it'd be hard to figure out the right tone. <laughs> to bring well, those where, two are, where are Nicole and Jake going next? And is Nicole ever going to give him cut him some slack? Poor thing. No, she's never going to cut him slack because oh, he's a target-rich environment, and that's what she does. You know, and Jake is, uh, <laughs> you know, Jake is hody doe, and he's just kind of wandering through life. So he gives her lots of opportunities to poke him with sticks. But the next one is called the OC, and it takes oh, place good. out here in Orange County. And basically, they come out a few weeks early because Nicole finally has a screenplay done and her uncle Charles, who is a big time producer producer is going to, is going to make the movie. And, uh, uh, Kurt from, uh, a list is going to be the actor that stars in it to kind of resurrect his career. So all that's going on, but they come, Nicole always had a condo here in Newport beach 
and so they come and stay there. Well, while they're going to hang out there for a few weeks before they go up to L.A. and start the shooting of her screenplay, uh, Mm. one of uh, Nicole's friends, who is a a small market uh, TV news reporter, uh, picks up a stalker, and it's uh, it's an electronic stalker. It's not an in-your-face stalker. So mm. how do you find someone like that? How do you track them down as they become more and more aggressive? How do you prevent them from doing something dangerous and stupid? And so that's what that story is all about. And, of course, it gets crazy, you know. You know, Jake stumbles around, and Nicole tries to straighten him out, and Pancake shows up, and Ray shows up, and the whole oh, crew in there, and it, you know, all that, all those things go crazy, and you know, there's a lot of humor in it, of course. Even okay, though it's a serious subject and a serious crime, yeah. I have one crazy question. Yeah. Is Pancake ever going to find a girlfriend, or the girl that he saw before? <laughs> yeah. <he> <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure that's no, in Pancake's makeup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he, he's kind of doing pancake things, you know. <laughs> if he's not knocking down walls, he's working on the computer and, you know, hanging out with Jake and Nicole at the bar. I mean, that's kind of – but, he, you know, he has his girlfriends. I remember Sunshine State, he had one. And, you know, he, he you know, he's a single guy. What, what are you going to say? Yeah, well, I I I I see how much he eats. I'm surprised he doesn't have high cholesterol. He probably does, but he doesn't. He probably care. does. Yeah, I know. He's so he he's just like my, my favorite character of all is pancake. And this yeah. one food I can't eat. I can't eat pancakes. What can I say? <laughs> yep, yep. I'm allergic to white egg whites. I just found out. It's it's so sad. <laughs> Which explains yeah. why I don't have to ever worry about being overweight ever again ever. <laughs> when can I say? So one final question: How do you decide to pick these people, like Nicole and Jake and Kane and Harper? How do you create these characters? Are you going to create another set? Well, right now I'm I'm concentrating on these two series and uh, okay, you know Jake. I I just always want to write comedy. So when I wrote the first book, Deep Six, I had a vague idea who Jake was and one scene in mm. mind, and I just sat down and started writing. I'd always outlined before, and I said, let's just write this, see what happens. And the book just flew. So I said, there's a lesson to be learned there. Outlining doesn't help you. <laughs> you know, yeah, I know. Just move on. Kane and Harper, it goes back to, I mean, in the 50s when I was a kid, I remember one day my dad and I were going somewhere, and I saw along the side of the road uh, about a dozen horse-drawn wagons, really Mm -hmm. uh, buckboard, if you will. uh, Oh, Coverings and all that, and all these people, you know, traveling along the side of the the two-lane blacktop country road. And I said, what is all of that? And that's where they're gypsies. Well, they're not, you know, Roma gypsies, or what people would call Irish travelers, but they they mm. lived a nomadic lifestyle and roamed around the South. And I, mm. for, I said, where are they going? He said, they're probably going over the fairgrounds because they go there when they come through town all the time, mm-hmm. and they put on shows and stuff like that and, you know, sell trinkets and everything like that. I said, oh, and something about that just fascinated me. And I thought, yeah. wow, wow, these people don't have a home. This is what they do, and it did from a boy, I mean, five or six years old. So I always knew that sooner or later I was going to write a story that had people that had been raised that way. Well, it turned out to be Kane and Harper, and 
and then I threw in all their other history to make them lethal. So uh, <laughs> I like not them. only clever, but lethal. So where can everybody find out about you, and why isn't everybody on you know Amazon buying them right now? And besides well, the fact be. that Hanukkah and Christmas and Kwanzaa are coming, and to me the best present in the world is, well, I don't have to pay for books. People just send them to me, so I don't yeah, have to worry. Yeah. Well, if you go to my website, dplylemd.com, it's dplylemd.com, that'll connect you to everything. Yeah, the books, mm. my podcast, my radio show, my blog, all that stuff. It'll connect you to everything. Um, and right now, actually, starting yesterday, I think, or, yeah, yesterday, the first four Jake Longley books are all on sale at whatever your that. favorite electronic outlet is, you know, the bookstore, uh Amazon, Kobe, whatever, um, through the end of the year, they're all on sale. So, you know, if you're looking for that Christmas gift, give them the, Kane Hart, uh, give them the uh, Jake Longley series. They'll, they'll like it. And um, so for the readers in your family and, and your circle. So, uh, yeah. there, there, were, there were a few. Actually, what, what's going to happen is your book is staring at me. Um, one of the one of the receptionists in one of my doctor's offices, I call and I get an appointment because I tell her I'm bringing her reading material. No, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I have one do- one doctor that I-, I don't have to go there all the time, but doc- my Dr. M, my dermatologist, says, if you're going to come, please bring me D.P. Lyle and Jeffrey Deaver and Jeffrey Archer. <laughs> oh, good. So, I'm serious. I, it's, it's, it's hilarious. I mean, my family is... My family is college oriented, but the guy, my nephews don't read, and I offered to let them help me do my book reviews, and they didn't take me up on it. So it's really sad. Um, yeah. I'm, the, I'm I'm basically the reader in the family, and yeah. I give away my I give away the books. But I want to thank you so much. This is fun. Thank and you. When is the next one coming out? So I have uh, an idea on my fall. schedule. It'll be next oh, okay. fall. I'll let you know. I'm right in time for my 25th birthday, whatever that means. There you go. <laughs> I, I, I gave up counting. I gave then we'll have counting. something to what celebrate, I... yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Everybody thank is you. beautiful outside. And what I say at the end of every show, just one small ask. Please save me, and I'll save you if you just wear a mask. <laughs> I, I. Everybody have a great day. DB, have a great day. Stay safe and bye.